Hello, this is Scott Cameron. This is uh, the joys of teaching literature, so I'm talking about all things teenagers and books and English essays, thesis statements, topic sentences, all that fun stuff. Um, if you want to know more about me or read my blog, uh, the text for for this episode is, is basically my blog. Um, you can go to theteachersworkshop.com. Um, I run pr online professional development for high school English teachers. So the, the topic this, this week is three classroom management tricks that work. So I wanted to, obviously there's a lot of different uh, advice and, and kind of rules of thumb and different sort of stylistic things that you can do uh, to try to figure out how to, to keep your kids engaged and, and on task and making transitions and the list goes on and on. There's just a lot that goes into having, you know, to running a class, you know, where kids want to go, they feel comfortable there, um, but also, you know, a place where, you know, where they can be open and honest about things, but also where, you know, you get things done. And, and there's a, a, an understanding where, you know, th there's a, a certain pace that, that you need to meet and there's certain time limits and time restrictions that you set on things. And um, it's just a lot, it's a lot of changing hats. It's a lot of changing personalities. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, I wanted to kind of boil it down and to make it simple. Um, so that's, that's what we're talking about. So I know what you're thinking, you know, the timing of this with the pandemic going on, you know, blog about classroom management, you know, but I, you know, I think part of the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I've had a lot of time to reflect, right? I've been a lot of, out of the classroom for over a month and I've been spending time thinking about really the culture of my classroom and the relationships I have with my students. I actually do the same thing every summer. One of the I, one of the most really valuable things that I've done as a as a growing teacher um, is that I ask students to, you know, at first actually early in my career I'd ask them to provide, you know, feedback on my course on me really, but my course, my the curriculum, um, all the different sort of assignments that I give them. Um, but over time, I, I kind of backed away from the little short answers and little like you know give wreck me on a one to five and. Um, sorts of things that didn't like numbers. I, c I can never really make sense of numbers. Um, you know, sixty percent a reason to change something, or is ten percent? You know, you don't really like any any number is a reason to change what you do, right? So in a in like I guess fifty one percent. You know, that that's something you work with, but I just never know how to make sense of it. And my students all usually are all over the place with what they prefer and what they like. So I, I just ask them to write. Just write. They they do it anonymously, um, and I I have questions that they they answer about specifically what I'd like to know and I read that I take notes on it um, and, and then in that that summer I really look over my notes and all the different things I'll keep track of certain things oh so many people didn't like this book or whatever um, but I always and I, I very serious about it when I give them you know the paper I say I always change what I do so yeah this is not for you it's for the class next year but I will change you know how I do things based on what you say, um, and so they usually take it seriously and, and give me really, really valuable feedback and really great recommendations. That's what I kind of encourage them to do: is like, tell me, not just "Hey, I didn't like this," but "Hey, you should do this instead." Um, and so that's always been really great. So I've gotten some ideas from projects that way. Anyway, any teacher knows the challenge of of creating a healthy rhythm in class. There are so many styles to teaching. The teacher that thrives on silence, order, focus, deliberation, and attention. And then the teacher that thrives on noise, 
conversation, movement, and energy. So I think I fall somewhere in between those two styles. Um, I try to monitor the pulse of my classes and I ask, always ask myself, you know, when have I expected too much seat work <clears throat> so that students might feel, you know, start, might start feeling antsy? Or when have I assigned so much work in groups that it's kind of chaotic and we've lost focus? Um, when are we moving too fast and when are we moving too slow? So, so my three classroom management tricks are this, right? One is start strong. There's a few simple things I've learned over the years from experience or from reading. Um, starting strong is, is super crucial and important. Starting the year strong and then starting each and every single class strong, every day strong. Um, at the beginning of the year, I start with a philosophical conversation about the value of literature. I pull quotes from basically anything and everything. Every, anything that has inspired me over the years, I, I kind of try to keep it in one document. Um, passages from novels, little quotes from poems. Um, these are quotes about creativity, education, perspective, art, you know, finding meaning in, in, in living and life, um, anything that, that connects reality to literature. Um, and I start the year that way. So it's just we jump right into this really great philosophical conversation. I have different activities um, that I do at the beginning of the year, but I always like to really start strong. I have every single day mapped out um, and I always bring a, a super, a lot of energy uh, to each and every class early on in the year. Um, so for as far as the, the daily, you know, class, um, every day, it's a really simple thing. I, I greet students at the door. Um, in high school, I guess it's a little bit different than elementary or middle school. Uh, you might have kids in, in, in your class for a longer period of time, but we were switching around a lot. Um, we had a principal... I had a principal for a long time who, who really stressed the, the importance of this and said it was backed up by all this research and evidence um, that just saying hello at the door to your students um, really creates this sort of feeling in this, you know, in this, this culture that, that is really positive and, and good. Um, so in addition to that, I always introduce the topic that we're going to cover that day in class, you know, joy, crime, uh, suffering. Um, imagination, something like that. Um, I always introduce that topic um, in the context of the novel that, that we're teaching, or the story or the poem, whatever it is, uh, but also in the context of the world that we live in. Right. So if it's crime or something like imagination or creativity or experience, perspective, identity, um, I, I address how that you know, idea uh, is still something we think about in the world today and how it's something we think about in the world today. So that immediately gets there, okay, Yes, we're, we're talking about this in the context of this book, but we're also dealing with this concept, this idea, this emotion, whatever it is, um, in, in, act, in, in actual life. So I sometimes tell stories and different things like that, um, but placing it in some kind of context outside of the, the novel is, 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 is a good idea. So if it's a good topic. Um, it should be relevant to the human condition and the modern social and political world we live in. Uh, the class... Um, starts with questions, not answers. So while I talk about those topics, it's not that I'm providing them some absolutes or truths about that concept. It's that I'm opening up questions. This is something we are still considering and struggling with today um, in, the, in, this, in these different ways. Um, and, and, and you provide questions to get them to start thinking so they want to answer those questions with whatever activity that you're running in class. Right? The activity should lead them to those to those questions. You know, it's called objective, 
um, but really starting with an enthusiastic sort of approach to the topic itself is really important. So after introducing the topic and asking some questions, I'll sometimes interpret the first quote or passage uh, that we're going to handle in, in the novel or short story or, or, or whatever the text is just to get things going. So number two is to change things up, change it up. Most often I have to have an activity that suits the objective, but sometimes um, I'll provide students with some other options and ask them how they'd like to complete or divide up the work. So they tell me what they want to do. So I have a Sometimes I have a definite plan. Like, I have to do this. This works. I know it works. But other times, it's like, okay, so we have this that we need to get done. How do you want to work it? I'll also give them the option of, of working independently or in a group. So a lot of kids like Thrive. Sometimes it's good to force them, but you know, a lot of the times, some kids just want to do it on their own. They know they're going to get distracted. They know somebody in the class is going to annoy them and put them off task. Uh, and so that's always good because you always do. I always do see a handful of kids working independently. I'll see kids you know, working with somebody that they're friends with, and then I'll see a large group of people, and that's fine too. So if they work in groups, I always expect them uh, to report their findings to the class um, after the conversation. Uh, that might be a verbal explanation. It might be a PowerPoint, a poster, a sheet of paper, an index card, or an online assignment. So it doesn't really matter what it looks like, but they just have to, in some way, uh, present it, present their ideas to the class. Uh, this provides an opportunity to hear all voices in the class, so they get the opportunity to think about what they're going to say. If they're not somebody that normally would just kind of raise their hand, you know, you get those kids who you just raise their hand in two seconds with this insane, amazing answer, you know, that they could and they can talk for five minutes about, you know, the question that you ask. But then there's kids who who are also brilliant, but they just take some time. They listen, and there's all I had. I remember this one student I had sat in the back of the class and was just quiet, quiet the whole, it was the same way every day, super quiet, just listening back there, taking notes. I know that she was on task, but didn't really say much. But then towards the end of the class, you would always have these brilliant uh, remarks about um, whatever, like it was clear that she was very, was listening, you know, um, enthusiastically to whatever was going on because she has brilliant remarks at the end of class. So that gives you those kids that opportunity to really talk about what they're going to say in a group first and then contribute to the conversation. Uh, not even like an oral presentation where they have to stand in front of the class, but they could just do it from their desk too, uh, just to, so they're not sort of nervous in front of the class. Um, I also avoid sitting down in general unless I'm giving an essay you know, or, or something where I'm leading a discussion. We're all sitting in a circle. And, and the students are doing most of the talking. That's me symbolically saying, like, I'm going to sit down because I expect you to do the talking and, and contribute to this conversation. I'm just here to kind of listen and ask questions. Um, walking around and interacting with the students allows me to know if I should change the activity or how much time they should take to complete the activity. Um, so, you know, you can see, okay, they've been through half the page here. This group over here is like done that page. Um, so you can gotta get a feel for how much time the work should take to complete. I've never worried about how or where students sit unless the activity requires requires a certain arrangement, like you know, they're creating a large poster, for instance, and they need to put four desks to, together to create that large large poster. Um, if on the rare occasion I, I lecture for a long period of time, um, I try to make it as entertaining as possible with with jokes and stories and jokes. I think that's it's still important invaluable skill to, to listen to someone for a long period of time. I know uh, in education there's a movement to, you know, the stage and the stage, as, a, you know, as, as opposed to the guide and the side, that, that expression that we have where we want to just kind of 
guide them in their discussions, not always just talk the entire time. But I, I do think that it's important to have um, students who can listen to, to someone talk for a long period of time. Um, so you want to do that occasionally too. Um, I've always been an enthusiastic note taker, so whatever I'm doing, whatever the activity is, I expect my students to take notes. Um, those notes I collect with the essay um, with the idea that you're listening, not just because I'm checking that you're listening, but because these are the ideas that you're going to put in, and organize in, in an essay. So the third and final thing uh, is to avoid rules and regulations. Uh, yeah, and early in my career, I feel like I, I felt like I had to have a lot of those. Do this, do that. You know, don't do this, don't do that. Um, but I found that just placing the literature like first and foremost in the conversation is just the best thing. Everything else is is not as important as the literature. Uh, very, I spend very little time explaining rules, directions, due dates, expectations, grades, ru rubrics, checklists. <laughs> the list goes on and on with this academic discourse that we have that just becomes, I can imagine that it gets overwhelming, right? Um, so if it takes a really long time to explain, sometimes that's good because it's a really good topic and has a lot of questions. Um, but in general, I try to simplify my, my assignments as much as I possibly can uh, so that they're easy to understand. Uh, I have one simple homework assignment for the entire year, and that's to basically read and take notes on the books that I assign, and that's it. I don't expect any other classwork to go home. Um, everything else can be done in class. Um, I started teaching to talk about literature and to ask questions. Right? That's, that's, why, that, that's what drives me. And I know it's what, what they love. And you think about all the different classes, not that you know, kids don't love biology and you know, uh, art and all the different classes they're in. Every, every kid's got a different passion. But there are a lot of kids that they enjoy literature because it's stories, right? It's, it's you know, fiction, nonfiction, just great, great, you know, um, great text, uh, whatever form they come in. And uh, so, so that's really what I try to put, again, you know, as make a priority in my class is talking about literature, nothing else. Um, they, they primarily get great ideas from reading and from hearing ideas. Um, so I try to avoid basically everything else. Um, I manage my class by, <laughs> by not managing at all, actually. So if students come to class knowing that something exciting will happen, they'll tune in. Thanks for listening.